Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. We are here in the studio to record a different kind of podcast. Wisconsin Lutheran College, like all universities, have suspended face-to-face education due to the spread of the coronavirus. Online education is the norm for a while. So Wade and I have decided to team up and record some audio for our students in lieu of classroom lectures. It's not ideal, but we think our discussions will be better than hastily made videos in which students have to look at our ugly mugs as we drone on without the benefit of a live audience. If you are not a student, we hope this will be beneficial to you as well. And although not exactly classroom experiences with visuals and lively discussion, we hope that these episodes will give you an insight into the type of fun we have here at WLC. So this is be um, our second uh, online lecture for Theology 312, which is the Theology of Christian Worship, and we're uh, glad to have with us Gregory Lyon, a bit of an expert at the, the worship and music in, in, in his expert own right. Expert is a very strong word, in but his thank own you. Right. We've, we've had him on for uh, worship things uh, as well. I'm going to actually put two group, uh, group uh, two lessons together here, which was not the original plan, but I think it'll just flow better. And um, these are kind of periods where I would allow for, uh, you know, discussion about other things because the, the, the actual material was a little bit lighter here. So I'm going to put these two together. And uh, the two lessons together, one of them is called the theology of time. And the other one would be the church here. And so we begin a discussion here, I think, just on how do we view time, right? Do we think of it as like linear? Do we think of it as circular? Uh, is it like uh, there's something else there? And then to talk about how God becoming man in the incarnation changes the way we look at time. And then also the third point would be how do we uh how do we celebrate time? How do we have rhythms of time? Forget about religion or church here for a second. How do we have kind of a rhythm in our life that we celebrate with time? So it's um, kind of easy to see right now since it's being disrupted. Right. So I'll, let's start with that big theological question, or I should say philosophical question. What, what do we think about? How do we think about time? Linear, <coughs> circular, something else? Wait, do you got any things to, to go off of? Right well, first, let me ask, would you like me to talk about the Industrial Revolution clocks and how time in that way has become a means of oppression. <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> um, and we, you know, in, in uh, the theology of worship, we don't touch on Marx at all. So right. that would be nice to, a nice change of pace there. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's an episode on that. <clears throat> but I will say more seriously. Wait, can I just chime in really quick? <clears throat> yep. I thought we were going to be talking about Worship and we're getting into Marxism and in the Industrial Revolution. I did not see this right. coming. Right, and if and I am not prepared. For and this I'll tell discussion. you right now, if he if he we've been here. This is our fourth podcast this morning. If he mentions a Stoic philosopher one time, <laughs> in fact, I think this would be a good ep- episode, like like a debate, like you take the side that uh, Stoicism is the right kind of philosophy for a Lutheran. And I'll take the other side, and we can go at it for a philosophy of life. Yeah, you have a better philosophy of life. No, I'm just saying that I don't think it's I don't think it's as great as you think it is. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Per normal, when I listen to this podcast, you guys let me know when you're done. <laughs> I'll chime in when you're ready. All right. Go. So uh, I will say, okay. So go ahead, time. Go over time. Um, to kind of get at what I was joking about, um, without going in depth on it, I think when we talk about time in the West post-industrial revolution. We think about time in a different way than much of the world thinks about it um, or that it was thought about in the past. We think of clocks. We think of calendars. We think of apps for productivity. Um, we think of rush hours. We, time right, clocks that we check into. Daylight savings time. Uh, and time is, is something that we now, as a result of these things, try to manage rather than time being something that we experience in the same way it was experienced in the past. So, in the past, the day began when the sun came up. Mm -hmm. The day ended when the sun came down. Um, We marked the changing of the seasons. Harvest time was a certain time of the season. Planting time was, okay, winter's past. Uh, And and time was something that was experienced, and you were kind of at the whim of, right? Uh, spring for us begins on a set day. We've even put a day on the calendar. This is when spring begins. 
But we all know in Wisconsin, spring might begin, but it still feels like winter. Or winter might begin, and it still feels like autumn for quite some mm-hmm. time. And so I think something that's helpful about the church year and looking at how much of the world and how antiquity looked at time is that sometimes it provides an opportunity for us to step back and experience time to live out seasons um, rather than just be subject to our obsession with managing it, right? Mm-hmm. Think of that even with the worship service. Any of us who have ever served in a parish know the worship service, according to most of our members, is supposed to last how long? An hour and ten minutes. Yeah, for most of history, before <laughs> before clocks and watches. Once it's ten minutes over, then you start getting the angry yeah. looks. Yeah. Yeah. But before clocks and watches, it just lasted what it lasted. Mm-hmm. No one was sitting there going, looking at their watch and kind of <clears throat> tapping so the pastor could see. Um, you you passed that time, right? And so I think that's something helpful for keeping in mind. And the church year is particularly helpful with that um, because you can't manage time in the church year. It just is that time in the church year. And even now when we have this pandemic and so we're self-quarantining and social distancing, we're still in the season of Lent, right? Um, and so we have the Sundays in Lent, but the days of Lent as well. And uh, we, we have the opportunity to give up a lot more than we maybe anticipated to to give up. But if if we are being served still pastorally, whether that be um, now Wisconsin has gone to gatherings of 10 or less, whether that be through online resources like CMO is going to be producing, um, like some of the stuff we produce with the podcast, um, through our devotional reading, uh, through our individual contact with pastors, um, and the church is going to have to come up with creative ways. Uh, what a wonderful gift to have this happen during Lent, right? A thing we don't necessarily want to happen, but is there any season of the church here better equipped to help us deal with it than the Lenten season? And we can't say, you know what, I would rather this happen during Epiphany or Easter. You can't be in Pentecost and say, I don't want to do Lent, I want to do Pentecost. Uh, The church here takes us through all these times and we have to experience them. And they bring us then the fullness of Christ, his life, death, resurrection. But they also just make us experience the the fullness of life as a whole. So I won't get into industrial revolution and workers of the world and all that. But I don't know if that made any sense, but I'll stop there. Well, yeah, and and just even more basic, like linear versus circular, like linear, like we are progressing, not necessarily always morally. In fact, sometimes it seems we're going back. But there's, there's history, there's a present and then there's a past and there's a future you don't get a second bite at the apple it's not a circular kind of thing which would be more eastern maybe a reincarnation or the greeks kind of thought things were going around and around in a circle that there is a progression that there it's eschatological in that way we have an eschatological sense of time that we know that there is going to be a return of jesus is going to come and it may come uh soon Sooner than later, so uh, like right after the quarantine, wouldn't that be something like right after the quarantine like, lifted? <clears throat> like everybody's like, "Oh man, we're gonna go to a Brewers like game tomorrow." Like tomorrow's opening day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I don't want. <clears throat> Never mind. I'm not even gonna go there. <laughs> I'll I'll jump in on something else though. Um, it, it is interesting though. Were you gonna talk about the Cubs? <laughs> no, I I have nothing oh, okay. to say about the Cubs anymore. <laughs> um, no, what was interesting is uh, you you mentioned being in the season of Lent. I got more questions after Transfiguration, and I usually do get questions around Transfiguration about the whole time eternity thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, mm-hmm. all, you know, there's, there's eternity sitting up there on the mountain mm-hmm. within time. And I got more people asking me, I don't really understand what is time when you're in heaven. So when I die, am I already in heaven mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. what's going on? And, I don't really have a point to bring up there other than to say transfiguration is a really interesting time to talk about time. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we're not past eternal, like we're not going around and around, but we can be future eternal in the sense that, but you're making it so hard for me not to sing that song. (laughs) You you spin me right round, baby, right round. This is the second time today's. I was rapping earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you keep saying that round. Both in my class periods, not his Ah, class periods. Yeah. Um, so he main, he maintains <laughs> order when he's in control, yeah. causes chaos when he's not. This is true. So uh, 
time, let's let's before we go even deeper into that because this is this is not physics class but uh, the, theology class. Um, how does the incarnation? What does that say about time to us? Um, is there any implications there? Yeah, it's a, it's an interruption of time. It's a rupture of time. It's why sometimes uh, some churches in the creed will even kneel when they get in the creed to the incarnation. Um, in Romans, uh, we've talked a little bit about, there's there's two, how do you say this, ions, A-E-O-N, mm. eons? Eons, no. I think, right? But two eons, the eon of Adam and the eon of Christ, right? Where we're now free from the time of Adam and we now are living in the light of eternity. Death for us is just a doorway to continued life. Um, and so the, the incarnation is that um, God stepping into time and in a way uh, freeing us from it and its its constraints, um, blowing up the uh, the horizons of, of time. And it's interesting, even when does God do that? He doesn't do it at 5 a.m. on, you know, whatever. <clears throat> he does it in the fullness of time. Mm-hmm. When the time is right, and I think this gets to how we picture eternity too. We we have a harder time picturing eternity than people before us did because we can't imagine not be having a clock, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and and so I, I think it's sometimes helpful for us to try to think of time in seasons rather even than just days, because we that hear it's so trendy right now. Good for you. Keep well, going. But <laughs> but think of how we when we think of day, we just we we think of a clock. 24 hours. Well, what was the day in, in antiquity? It was the sun came up and the sun went down. Yeah, now, when we debate about creation, we can talk about 24-6, whatever. I'm not talking about that. Um, or maybe cycles is better than seasons. Uh, but these things just, they come and go and they're not as controlled as we think. Uh, Christ has, has taken our being caught up in the, um, what is the time of Adam? It's toil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's thorns. It's looking at the clock in class, and class ends at 11.50, and it seems like it's been 11.10 forever, right? Um, and we say when you're free from that, that's when you actually learn. And yeah. Right, and so Augustine talks about, um, interestingly, he talks about time is somewhat relative. Now, where he does this, I'll have to find. But he says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm picking five minutes. I can't remember the span of time he uses. But five minutes is not the same in every instance. Five minutes, like in something unpleasant, uh, five minutes at the DMV is not the same minute as five minutes of falling in love, you know, walking with your future spouse, holding hands on the beach or wherever you do this. I don't know what people do anymore. <laughs> Netflixing and chilling <clears throat> or whatever. I don't know. Well, I, I see this when I'm doing, uh, I do an elliptical. The last five minutes of my elliptical before it goes into uh-huh. cool down. It's the most painful five minutes. Then the yeah. cool down five minutes is over like that. Yeah, back when I uh, still loved myself enough to do cardio, I would go and, and get on the, the treadmill. Yeah. I still lift weights because <clears throat> that's like a fat man's game. You can still do that, you know. But uh, but I'd put my hoodie over the time thing on the treadmill. Yeah. And sometimes like, I'd feel like, man, I'm doing so well. I have such a great run, whatever. You pull it off, it'd be like three minutes, 12 <laughs> seconds. And you're, like, <laughs> you're like, what? Got a good this, sweat going This can't already. be right. Yeah, so... um. But I think like what Augustine is getting at there too is, you know, eternity is not going to be bound by, um, by the clock. Um, but, uh, but as with the, as with the, the church here, um, well, what does Christ's incarnation do for the church here? His incarnation is one pillar. His resurrection is the next. He comes into time and now he rises to give us the newness of life, which is bound by no, no time. Our, our new man doesn't age, so to speak, but sorry, I don't know if that makes sense. No, that's good. And, uh, the, the other implication of the, uh, the incarnation. I had really good hand gestures in yeah, that, didn't I? Into time is that just like when Christ came into flesh, became fle- came into this physical world, um, that means that it's good. It's corrupted by sin, but it's still good thing. And we talk about this a lot, especially uh, on, on this podcast, that this world, this physical world is actually something for us to enjoy. Same way with time, right? Um, if he came into time uh, to redeem time, to make it a gift that is given back to us, that kind of thing, instead of, as you've described, something that becomes about law. And um, to embrace that. So just as we see that God 
comes into the physical. And so in the church, we don't turn away ourselves from the physical and only are kind of uh, Gnostic in a sense that we're only spiritual, but that we <coughs> appreciate art in the church and music and stuff like that, that we shouldn't turn our back on, but rather embrace the ryth- rhythms that we have in life and the church here and stuff like that. That's a good thing. It's not something that is some uh, tradition that holds us back. So, you know, even the, the early uh, radical reformation, there were people that just wanted to break away from everything, including the church here from the tradition uh, of the Roman Catholic church. So there was a story of this one guy who purposely preached a Pentecost uh, text on Christmas day, you know, and instead of saying Christ came in here in time and space in the physical it's okay. We can embrace it. It's still kind of cool, though. Yeah, just it's it is a real it's a huge jackass move, and I think uh, we can appreciate that for what it's worth, but uh, maybe not the right place to do so. Um, Although when we get back to physical chapel here, I'm gonna have to try that. Just well, preach whatever you the want. The chapel police, whoever that might be, will make sure he calls you up. Uh, you guys can't even keep people on time. How are you gonna stop me? I can't keep myself on time sometimes. <laughs> so, the other thing is. Uh, that you as a human being don't get to escape time. It's like, like you can just say, like someone says, well, I'm just not that spiritual. I'm like, well, you have a soul or I, I'm not physical. I'm somewhere out. No, you, you still, you know, everybody, you still have to eat and sleep. And so we are still in time uh, in a negative way, bound by time um, and yet can be see can see gift, uh, see the gift, see time as a gift, I should say. So because we are in time, we have these overlapping calendars. And so uh, I think I've already done this this semester just as a, a, a brief introduction to this. But just to mention all of the different, just to have the kids, the students mention how many calendars they have. They have their yeah. school calendar that has a beginning September to May. They have uh, the a seasonal weather calendar. They have sports calendars. They have calendars within their class. They got birthdays. They have, you know, each month you can think about like a, you know, a picture like January's snow and February's hearts and March's clovers because of St. Patrick's Day and April's flower, you know, all these kinds of things that you could probably think about even for students who don't have children, like 12 calendars in their life. Then you start adding band and softball and schools and different schools or whatever. I mean, we got a stack of calendars like this on our refrigerator. Mm-hmm. And so it can be very hard because sometimes those calendars compete, right? So um, let's say April falls on the 20, I think the latest it can be like 23rd of April or whatever. Um, But that also may be NFL draft time. That also may be, um, you know, someone's birthday. That may be time to, uh, you know, if you live down south, maybe towards the south that's time to start planting your garden early or whatever, you know, you have these things in the church here can kind of fall through the cracks and it gets dominated by other calendars. Right. Um, so, and sometimes they mesh like Christmas, but sometimes like Easter, um, they can get lost a little bit. So, um, you know, how far do you, maybe I'll ask you this, Greg, you know, how far do you in your family and how far as, as a parish pastor in the past or, here as campus pastor, how much do you push it without making it a law that you put the church calendar out there so at least it doesn't get lost with all these other cycles that we have? Well, I would say, first of all, and and I know this has been discussed in other venues on this podcast in the past, but it's hard on a college campus Mm -hmm. to keep the the church here at the forefront. Now, what what we've tried to do uh, in, in more recent years is follow the church year for our chapel um, for our chapel schedule. But even there, there are other things that, that come into play that occupy our time even for chapel because, uh, you know, you got Founders Day falls in there and, and that disrupts the church year. And so, so even within the chapel rotation, it's hard to maintain um, that regular consistency. So I, I would echo what, what I've heard you say in the past, that church year is something that I miss from the parish, mm-hmm. even though we, we really try to bring that out, whether it just here changing the colors in the chapel, um, changing pyramids and banners and things mm-hmm. like that. But it doesn't have that, that beat and that pulse mm-hmm. 
that you were that that I was used to in sure. the parish. Yeah, you know, and here's something to go to the home thing, but then also the the parish thing is. So in America, and this is largely driven by consumerism, we tend to celebrate our holidays before they come. So Halloween stuff's out, you know, October 1st. Then we celebrate the 31st. And then November 1st, it's Thanksgiving time, if not Christmas time. And then, but that is the opposite of the, the church year. Mm-hmm. So the 12 days of Christmas are December 25th to January 6th. And it's not that far in our past, even in America, where you didn't put a Christmas tree up until Christmas Eve. And then you have the 12 days of Christmas, even in a secular way, regardless of the Advent Christmas season kind of thing. And so that, that consumer, you know, sell stuff. So put the stuff out on the market for this upcoming thing drives us. And by the time we get to the holiday, we're kind of over it, you know, we're kind of over it. And that, that's kind of a sad thing. So, you know, how much do you push that, especially with the Advent Christmas thing that you have a season of repentance, Advent and longing and anticipation. And then you have the great big celebration of Christmas when all around you is Christmas. And then December 26th, when you should be basking in the glory of this new holiday after a long period of work and toil and, and spiritual kind of maybe even repentance, you're, you, you have fallen to gluttony and you're sick of it and you're ready to go on a diet kind of, kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you do in your household with that kind of thing? Is there any, like, without being, without being a churchier Nazi? Yeah. I, I wish I could offer you something. I mean, when you got little kids, I got, I got three little kids and it all gets lost, yeah. you know? Um, advent calendars or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we do advent calendars. We do right now we have, um, there's a Lent cross where it, it goes through daily devotions mm-hmm. and, and my wife and I oversee the Sunday school and we've gotten that out to our families where they can do a daily devotion with the kids and put a little sticker on the Lent mm-hmm. cross and it's the 40 days of Lent and that kind of thing. Um, but other calendars have stepped in and is mm-hmm. just wiping out everybody's world mm-hmm. right now. But yeah, Advent wreath candles, the, the Advent candles, um, yeah. And the point is that these traditions that and, and these customs that we're not tied to, there is a reason for them. And in our contemporary world, they actually can be fresh and new for a lot of people. Right. You know, so like just a small thing that I did in my parish was, uh, you know, after when it was time for the first Sunday of Advent. Yeah, we put up a tree, we put up wreaths, but I made sure that they were blue and silver and that, that we had a whole separate decorations for Christmas, you know, just so that we knew we, we were seeing and feeling because you go into a church and you feel the season and, and just that there would be a distinction between this repentant season of Advent versus the joyous Caesar of Christmas without being too much of a jerk about it. Right. Right. So it is hard when we have competing calendars and that's just life, uh, in our world. Um, but uh, to appreciate the differences and to appreciate Easter and Lent, because as much as it gets moved and it's not, it's not static in our uh, Gregorian cal- or Julian calendar, um, the, Easter bun day, the Easter bunny is not as big a threat as Santa Claus, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still Easter. It's still, it's still, it's it's hard to commercialize Lent and, and Easter. We'll try, <laughs> but yeah. it, but but it's hard. So there is those rhythms. Uh, what do you think about um, Saints' Days and commemorations? Valuable, not valuable? I mean, what do you what do you think about them? I'm for them, I, and, and we uti- we utilize them as much as I can in chapel here, um, just because I think it's valuable. It's valuable for us to connect ourselves to the people of the past, mm-hmm. to see how they carried out. Uh, their faith to see how they struggled and to see what it is that we're hanging on to today. And sometimes it's no more or less if, if God can use my goodness, Peter, right? If God can forgive David, yeah, my goodness. Right. Which is what our confessions say. Yeah. We get not only the example of their faith, but the fact that God calls sinners and God uses sinners as a comfort as well. I, I think many of them too, there's an interesting Northwestern Lutheran article or whatever we called it back then. 
want to say it's 1914, so World War One era. <clears throat> it's when the when when it first moves to English. Mm-hmm. I want to say that was 1914 in our synod, and it kind of makes fun of all the Sundays we have in the church. It, it says, I think it's talking about the Methodists, but it talks about American churches that have to do with Friendship Sunday, Evangelism Sunday, Stewardship Sunday, <clears throat> and it says these are already built into the year. They're built into the lectionary. Um, and I think, uh, I'm not saying you can't have Friendship Sunday, Evangelism, you know, Christian freedom. And I just preached for an education Sunday uh, mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago. <clears throat> so thank you, Pastor Brandt, for the invitation. Uh, but some of those saints' commemorations really are good days to bring out those themes mm-hmm. as well. And I, I think they can be very helpful. And it reminds us God calls people, uses people. And so long as we're not presenting them as a day of this person was super holy, extra holy, and you should try to be a saint in the Roman Catholic sense like mm-hmm. <clears throat> like that person as if they achieve their own sainthood. Um, there can be wonderful examples that can be given as well. Absolutely. And uh, I think, you know, I, I don't like Sundays that are based either on a sin or a virtue because you're writing the law, right? Like, so life Sunday that, you know, we're going to combat abortion or whatever. Um, but those, you're right, those saints days, we can't, I mean, we should be talking about virtue. We should be talking about those things in the right context, and, and I think that that we can. And and boy, uh, we could use a whole lot more history. You know, I mean, in as we are facing this coronavirus thing, uh, we were talking off air of just the numbers and stuff like that, and just the numbers of like the Black Plague. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it gives us a perspective here. And so anytime we can have more history in our world, I think is a good thing as well. I like to just for my students' sake go through the daily offices really quick and then um, uh, uh, we'll get into the church here but the daily offices were kind of based on the uh, like the watches of the of the day and the night every three hours and matins lauds prime terrace sex nun vespers and compline our st- that word again our, our students are going to be um, uh, familiar with matins and vespers and maybe and maybe compline as and well. I should I should chime in I tried to change vespers to compline mm-hmm. on campus just for the namesake, mm-hmm. because Vespers, when we have it, is not actually Vespers. Right. Yeah, that was a battle I didn't. Yeah, that's win. right. So I mean, basically, on the in in campuses, you know, this begins kind of or is 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 most fulfilled in in the monasteries where they're literally giving up, getting up and praying every three hours. It becomes morning prayer and evening prayer and Vespers and and Compline becomes become kind of kind of messed together or interchangeable. Um, and so it became a university thing. It became a school thing. It became a monastery thing. And so it's good that we do have uh, matins here at, at um, our, our service. You know, matins is not that the right time either. <laughs> right. So that's mm-hmm. that's all right. But what's kind of unique about this is the three hour cycle kind of thing. And there was a time when people tied the passion of Christ to this time period. So matins is at 12 a.m. This is Christ is bound. Lauds at 3 a.m. Jesus on trial. Prime Christ is reviled 6 a.m. Terce Christ is condemned to death 9 a.m. Sext Christ nailed to the cross 12 p.m. None Christ's side is pierced 3 p.m. Vespers uh, Christ's deposition taken down from the cross 6 p.m. And then late in the grade, Compline, 9 p.m. That's not originally where those things and names came from, but it is kind of a nice thing if you do think about those every three hours that you're thinking about that the day of Christ on Good Friday. It's at least something from our uh, from from the church history that's been handed down to us. All right, let's switch gears. And if you guys don't mind staying a little bit longer, we can uh, and my students can get uh, two lessons out of the way real quick and and supplement their um, their reading that they're supposed to be going through. Let's start with Advent. It's the first Sunday that's closest to November 30th, St. Andrew's Day. Or if you want, it's a lot easier just to count Sundays before uh, December 25th, which of course is Christmas. So the Advent season, either the color is blue or purple. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about colors at a different time in our class period, so we can, we can uh, take that away. But Advent is a four-Sunday season. It's, it's one that's the beginning and the end. So it's an anticipation of Christ's first coming, but then also an anticipation of Christ's second coming. Um, so I always think about it. You're, you're, in the, you're standing in the sandals of ancient Israel. You're waiting for Christ to come, and we're not so different than them. Waiting for our king to return. 
And uh, so it is a little bit more of an anticipation and repentance season. Thus, the color would be purple or blue. Um, one thing that is uh, I did is I would, and not every church did this, but I would, like Lent, get rid of Alleluia's and Gloria's, put them aside a little bit. Some of them in the hymns would stay, but out of the main service, just so that they were fresh and new on Christmas Day. One of the great things uh, about Advent that's unique is the O antiphons. Uh, Greg, you want to talk to that, or do you want me to take, is that fresh in your mind, the O antiphons? Yeah, I haven't done anything. We, I know that we did the O antiphons for a week <coughs> mm-hmm. in chapel a couple, a couple years ago. Um, but I would just say in our, in our hymnal, the fact that we have, what, four of them and yeah, out yeah. of order. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so t- tell yeah. me what the O antiphons are. Uh, it's, it's all the, uh, I have not short prayers. They're short prayers prayers. that, um, you have the, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Um, I'm not going to remember all of them off the top of my head because I have not read through these Mm -hmm. recently. Um, yeah, take it over. Day spring, all those kinds of things. So Ruta Jesse and. So there are short little antiphons would be, think like a, a, a phrase that's repeated, like a, almost a refrain, and they become prayers, and they're Old Testament, <laughs> Old Testament names. I'm getting very distracted right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I, you caught me off guard because I, I was it. reading the latest. This is what this is what I, I, I you know I call on the person who's looking at their phone. You know, yeah, you out. absolutely <laughs> did. I got called out. Um, you got me earlier. I don't know if that was on this one, but <laughs> so there's seven names, Old Testament references to Jesus Christ or names to Jesus Christ. And starting, I guess it would be the 17, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. Started on the 18th then. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, The seven days before Christmas where you have this prayer that highlights a name of Jesus from the Old Testament. So it's very Advent-y, like you're getting ready for Jesus to come. And each of those uh, names say something different, like, oh, wisdom, or the root of Jesse, you know, that he was, he was from, this, from this line of Jesse and King David and Judah, um, oh, Dayspring, uh, these different names. And then there was a hymn, which we all know, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and that it was supposed to have seven or eight verses. I think one was a, a generic verse, and then you had the seven. Um, so kind of a unique thing that, you know, uh, churches will do, um, I would always use that on the fourth Sunday of Advent, put them all together. But in a personal devotion, you would you would lead up to Christmas with those those names, kind of a unique thing of Advent. You have the Advent wreath. I'm not a big th- guy about naming the ad uh, the Sundays of Advent, like joy, hope, love, shepherd, angel, whatever. I think that's sort of a later kind of thing. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, so each candle is like... The, there's so many different theories yeah. about which one is yeah. right anyways. Yeah, but those are okay. If you're ever wondering... That's why I just didn't celebrate Advent. <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if you're ever wondering about um, the rose-colored candle in <coughs> Advent, um, there is also a, a rose for, for Lent. It's kind of an easing up of the repentant kind of uh, uh, feeling right there. It's a lighter sort of Sunday. One. So um, I like the easing and, up days. And men don't, pra- male pastors don't wear pink. We wear rose. Like if you would actually. Do you have rose? No, I don't. But we weren't a wealthy enough congregation to have, you know. We had a relative in the that. ministry who had a kind of famous picture of himself. In the yeah, that's right. He, had, he, got, he bought those rose <laughs> ones, yeah. So when we get into the Christmas season, the Christmas season actually can have one Sunday in it or two Sundays, depending on uh, when Easter falls um, or when, uh, it, when it falls, Christmas Day falls in, the, in uh, what day of the week it falls. You're going to have 12 days until you get to, to the day of Epiphany. Christmas season about the Incarnation. Uh, you know, people know this, uh, know Christmas very well, but maybe you want, Greg, just give me a couple things that you've appreciated liturgically in the Christmas season. That was unique. Yeah, um, I know there's a number of different ways to handle this, but we we had always used the um, the second half of the Athanasian Creed mm-hmm. liturgically, mm-hmm. the half focusing on um, God and man, uh, the person of Jesus Christ. So I appreciated using that half um, for Christmas. Uh, but also just, I mean, I, I hate to be so so bland about this, 
there's something about putting your best into a service. Mm-hmm. Not that we don't put our best into every service, but you just pull out all the stops, all the organ, all the brass mm-hmm. or whatever it is that you're doing um, to pour everything into it for that one particular service. Some churches, uh, hallelujah chorus, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and I know that's very simplistic, but um, it was just always exciting. And, and at the church that I was at before, we did not process the cross every mm-hmm. single Sunday. Mm-hmm. We did for the high festivals. Mm-hmm. So processing, um, processing our cross in on Christmas Day uh, was something that was just extra special, having everybody standing and just seeing the full house. Mm-hmm. Um, so liturgically, we didn't do a whole lot different besides those couple of things. Um, but just pouring more time and energy into the liturgy to make it, um, to make it our best. Yeah. And, and speaking of processionals on Christmas day, what we would do, and some people do this on all high festivals, but I reserved it for Christmas day is for the gospel reading, which is always John one. This is not Christmas Eve, but Christmas day in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was what, uh, was God. And then eventually he made his dwelling among us. He literally tented among us that the processional uh, cross would go, you know, maybe a third away down the aisle. And then the preacher would have the, 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 the gospel book, mm-hmm. the Bible, and read those words, living those words out, the word in amongst the people. Mm-hmm. Right. And that beautiful picture of an incarnation, how cool, how cool that was. And uh, I, I would just throw one other thing in there, um, something that I don't want to overlook for the sake of your students. The shift from the expectant blue or the repentant mm-hmm. purple to the white mm-hmm. on Christmas Day mm-hmm. also is just, uh, there's a there's a brightness to it. Yeah, yeah. And and that's why I also kind of like not, not singing the Gloria in Advent because the Gloria is the Christmas song, you know, right. that the, the glory to God in the highest that the angels sang and then to bring it back on Christmas Day is, is it's, it's okay to take something away and, and bring it back in certain circumstances so that it is fresh and it becomes a little bit more meaningful that way. So uh, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, there actually are quite a few saints days in that week. You have uh, St. John, um, you have um, uh, the slaughter of the Holy Innocents, um, which is a sobering kind of uh, uh, day in that Christmas season. But let's move to the Epiphany season. When we think about Epiphany season, we think, think about an unveiling. So Christ is born. Now he's going to be unveiled it, unveiled to us. And it starts with uh, the, the day of Epiphany, which is January 6th. This is also known as the Gentile Christmas because the Gentiles weren't there. The, it was only Jewish shepherds, right? And Mary and Joseph. Uh, and so it eventually, not at the beginning, but eventually got, got tied with the visit of the Magi, that Christ is for everybody. And so January 6th is often we'll have the, the visit of the Magi. That is, that's the lesson there. Um, but I'd like to ask you about uh, that next Sunday, the baptism of our Lord and how that fits into Epiphany, and then how Transfiguration fits at the end of the Epiphany season. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'm... <laughs> At, at the baptism of our Lord, it's it's a fascinating Sunday to really focus in on what baptism is for us. But but it's also, it can be a difficult Sunday to explain to somebody why is Jesus being baptized. Yeah. Because if, if I've spent all this time talking about baptism is a washing away of your sins and, and all of this, and then to come back and say, well, Jesus was baptized, uh, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense on the surface. But once you start once you start diving into what all this means, that Jesus is stepping into the place of sinners, um, having that as the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, and and not that this is God coming into this man at this point in his baptism, mm-hmm. which some people will make that argument, um, that this is the beginning of his divinity or something mm-hmm. like that. None of that. But this is the beginning of his public ministry. And to begin the season of Epiphany, where Jesus is revealing himself, through baptism uh, is such a, a wonderful way to start that epiphany season. And then you, you kind of ride that out until you see this 
this final glimpse of glory mm. until the descent into Jerusalem. Yeah, I you know th- this is kind of a later theological thing, and and there's a little bit like should we always be talking about this? But but I think it's right to talk about the threefold office of Christ, prophet, priest, mm-hmm. and king. And so this is his uh, coronation as king in a certain sense. This is his commissioning as prophet. This is his ordination as as priest. And uh, and and just the the all three pe- persons of the Trinity there, and the Father saying, "This is my son. This is my guy." And then our connection being baptized into him, right? Into him is a beautiful thing that uh, we go along for the ride with Christ. So then the Epiphany season uh, is is followed after the the baptism of our Lord. It's followed by what we call ordinary Sundays. Uh, the color is green. Um, but they do have a feel to that they are kind of an unveiling. We're going to hear about Jesus' first miracle. We're going to hear about maybe him preaching at Nazareth. We're going to hear about these things um, that kind of reveal him as true man and, and true God before we get to the most important part, which is his, his death on the cross. I wanted to step, step back. I forgot something about the Christmas season. It really fit the Christmas season, but New Year's Eve. <clears throat> we had a couple. There's a few... Uh, days in there, like New Year's Eve, Thanksgiving, that kind of stuff that we have, and I think rightly so, uh, church services on those days. Um, but they are part of the Julian calendar, right? And and yet, this is where these two calendars overlap and, and uh, a fortuitous kind of a, a beautiful uh, uh, connection there. New Year's, thinking about new things, the festival on the 31st is the circumcision of our Lord, and the festival January 1st is the name of our Lord. Both, you can't help but talk about baptism, the name of God mm-hmm. and the baptism. You can't, circumcision being connected to baptism, and uh, this is the, the, the first drop of blood spread uh, uh, that he shed for our salvation was when he was fulfilling the law of circumcision and new beginnings in baptism. Every day is a new day. There's one of those cool things. So transfiguration, there is a. This is one of the few places where Lutherans actually had a had an impact on the on the church calendar, putting transfiguration as the last Sunday of of the Epiphany season, and we have that transition, the high of 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 the transfiguration moment, and then the low of them going down the mountain, and Jesus saying, "We got to go to Jerusalem now." Mm-hmm. And then the next time you come, you have the. I mean, think about the difference between the. Advent to Christmas, oh, the difference between Transfiguration and Ash Wednesday, especially if you use black on that day, is quite powerful as well. So then we get into the Lenten season, uh, Ash Wednesday. Wade, you want to talk about Ash Wednesday? Well, I'll just say with Transfiguration, too, I think that connects well with our discussion of time earlier, too. If you think of that, uh, you know, the Transfiguration and the Lent following, it just so encapsulates life in this world, right? Mm-hmm. It's the glimpse of All right, sorry for the odd break there. Um, I'm going to try to produce this so that these things flow together when uh, when you're listening. But the files filled up on the Zoom that we use for recording. And so where I left off was I was talking about Transfiguration and we were making our way to Ash Wednesday. So if I can figure out how to put these together and not make them separate files, I will do so. And so just basically to review where I was just at, Transfiguration kind of brings home... Uh, the cycles of life as we get this glimpse of, of glory and then Christ's suffering. Um, we have sorrowfulness, but then hopefulness as well. And so that brings us to Ash Wednesday. And Ash Wednesday, as I mentioned, was very well-timed this year with the unfortunate uh, pandemic now we're facing and the self-quarantine and, and social distancing that's taking place. But we were reminded uh, dust we are and to dust we will return. And yet at the same time, that comes with a powerful gospel reminder that the same God who created us from dust will raise us from dust and loves and cares for us in this life uh, as he will in the next. <clears throat> so, Mike, I'll, I'll throw that to you. I just wanted to explain how I kind of pictured I might have to be putting this together. But we're <laughs> sure. at the Lenten season. Where do you want to go from there? Yeah, so Lenten is it's, it's definitely a season of... Um, going to be repentance. That's kind of the whole thing. We're on our way uh, to the cross. And I think it's right that we think about it as a journey. We're walking with Jesus to the cross and it's our fault coming off of transfiguration where uh, we're told in in Luke chapter nine, that Jesus resolutely sets out uh, towards Jerusalem, that that's where we're going. And we are reminded that this is his destiny. 
and from the very beginning of the uh, the church year, even at Christmas, we are reminded that the cute little baby boy he came here came here to die. And so the Lenten season uh, does not follow necessarily the passion of Christ, at least not on the Sundays. They are about repentance. They're about Jesus' temptation and how he went out to the wilderness and did what the Israelites could not do, what we could not do, and that is um, uh, fend off the devil in his temptations. And so he's the perfect one that is in our place. And it's appropriate that we begin, of course, with the imposition of ashes, a reminder of our, of our mortality, but also this idea of cleansing that we get through Christ's death. And we fast forward probably to the uh, to Holy Week, um, which starts with either Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday. It's called both. Palm Sunday, because now we're in the, the week where Jesus arrived on Jerusalem on that Sunday, and then he's going to die on Friday, and he's going to be resurrected that next Sunday, Easter Sunday. It's also called Passion Sunday. And uh, by the way, the name will match up with the color. So if it's Passion Sunday, it's usually scarlet. Um, if it's Palm Sunday, it's probably still purple. And uh, it's called Passion Sunday because the whole passion is read um, during that service. And so it becomes a a kind of a longer gospel reading. I think the best way to handle this is that you have the uh, the reading of the Palm Sunday account, account before you even do anything. And then you process in with one of the great Palm Sunday hymns that talk about the lowly pomp of Christ riding a donkey on Palm Sunday. And then for the gospel reading, you read the whole Passion. The Passion is typically read in like Lutheran and and other, uh, I'm I'm assuming Roman Catholic churches. On the Wednesdays of Lent, they have uh, Wednesday services, uh, usually typically in Lutheran churches. But not everybody gets to those or not to get to all of them. So it's good to have that whole Passion reading on that Passion Sunday. Um, this is also a, a good time to mention that there's uh, in a lot of churches they'll veil any images of Christ. And then uh, the main purpose of that is that there will be an unveiling on Good Friday. And so it, just like we took away the glory and then it, it's brought back, we, we have this reminder of Christ, the bitterness of Christ's uh, death, and it's fresh to us on that Friday. And I, I always like doing that. I think the the kids really got a, uh, it's something that they notice. The kids notice things in church more than, more than we give them credit for, especially when there's a lot going on. And they were always upset that there was, that Jesus was gone and veiled mm-hmm. on that, and during Lent. And then you explain it to them. And then there was the anticipation then there of, of that, uh, Good Friday event. Um, then we get into, uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, the heart of it all. Um, the Christian, these are the three most important days of the Christian uh, faith and therefore the calendar. Every Sunday is a mini Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Um, Monday, Thursday, uh, when Jesus, and by the way, this is called the Triduum or the three days. Originally, the, the Triduum was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, but it's become generally known as the Monday, Thursday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. We recall it's not Monday, Monday, Thursday, as in Monday and Thursday, but Monday coming from mandatum as the Latin for command, where we get the word mandate. And so there's two commands on that day. Jesus says, love one another and do this in remembrance of me. This is when Jesus uh, instituted uh, the Lord's Supper by changing the Passover meal to what we know as Holy Communion. He also goes into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he has been betrayed and then put on trial. And often what is kind of neat in a Monday Thursday is you have a stripping of the altar when a psalm is chanted. Uh, uh, maybe Psalm 22, there's other ones that I've seen being chanted, and it's quite a surreal moment to watch as uh, everything's taken off the altar one by one, the candles and the offering plates and the communion ware. And then there's nothing but the bare altar, which is a symbol of Christ and and a reminder that he's going to be stripped naked at the cross. We cover him up, Um, but there's a pretty good chance that he was stripped naked um, and an an embarrassing shame there at the crucifixion. So that's kind of a cool thing if you ever have gotten to that Monday, Thursday. I'm at church where they strip the altar on Monday, Thursday. And the tritium means that there's, it's, it's one service. So there's no blessing after Monday, Thursday, no invocation or blessing on Good Friday, no invocation on uh, Easter Sunday, but then a blessing. So it's, it's, you know, you have one invocation on Thursday and one blessing on Saturday. It's one thing. So, uh, and then we get into Good Friday. You want to pick in anything with Holy Week there? Yeah, I think uh, the, you know, the thing with Good Friday 
is it and Easter are probably the two easiest days of the church year to preach. And the power of Good Friday is like Ash Wednesday is it confronts us with uh, the reality of life in a fallen world. <clears throat> we, we start Lent with Ash Wednesday, which reminds us of our mortality. And then we see on Good Friday, God himself lets himself become subject to, <coughs> to death. He comes in the likeness of a sinful flesh. Uh, to take away the condemnation of the law from us, as Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. And so I think um, the power of Good Friday, this is often the day, as, as has been noted, that the, the chancel is shockingly bare compared to the rest of the year. And it's just set before us. The the, the problem that God came to address, which was sin and, and the wages of sin, which is, is death. And yet uh, one of the things I've really grown to love as part of the Triduum is the Easter Vigil. I'm privileged to be at a church now where my pastor celebrates the Easter Vigil. And you get, uh, immediately following Good Friday, then you get that day of expectation where you're reminded we don't grieve as those who are without hope. Um, we're reminded that the point of Good Friday is not simply to make you feel bad. right? We did kill God. We shouldn't feel good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that we're, we know what comes next and we're kind of eagerly expecting that, um, being able to say those alleluias again and so the the value of that and then of course simply easter arrives and uh i mean it's a game changer is there anything mm-hmm. easier to preach right than he is risen so i i think the the triduum is such a gift to the church um and it's so unique in how it flows together and it really walks us through um the depths the grim realities of life in a fallen world but then the new life that is ours. It's very baptismal, a death and resurrection, yep. Romans 6, uh, into Christ. And Easter Vigil, I mean, often there will be baptisms. Yep. So historically, this is when the catechumens, who we've talked about in our class, uh, this two years, who ha- uh, two-year kind of probationary period, right, um, where they had sponsors, and um, they were uh, early morning um, were brought into the faith uh, through baptism, and then the first full service that they would see would be Easter Sunday. Some good things about Good Friday, uh, you know, if the, if a church doesn't have black, uh, uh, they'll often um, still be purple, but they will have, maybe the altar won't have any pyramids on there unless they have black. Um, <clears throat> there are some reproaches, um, if you've seen that, where it's as if Christ is speaking from the cross, <laughs> You know, I did this for you, and look, you put me on the, cro- on the cross. There's a long litany, a prayer, a Good Friday prayer that is unique to uh, uh, some churches. Um, there is the unveiling of the cross. Uh, each transept by, kind, uh, by time, kind of at a time, I should say, kind of giving the dramaticness of that Good Friday uh, um, scene. One that many people know is the it's it's not really the closing of the tomb, but the loud bang the at the end, the strepitus. That's actually about the the earth convulsed at the death of of Christ, and there is uh, many people, many holy people, uh, were uh, resurrected for a, a brief moment there. Um, so uh, I always thought it was a closing of the tomb, um, but that loud noise, many people have. I've heard about you maybe also have heard about a tenebrae service or it just means a service of darkness can be one done one of my favorite services it can yeah. be done in different ways but maybe seven candles up there and they're slowly extinguished and then one light is uh um uh relit at the end symbolizing the hope of the resurrection one thing that we forgot to mention at the at the tran- uh, transfiguration but as a connection to good friday is uh, saying farewell to Alleluia. So mm-hmm. um, it, literally a banner with Alleluia will be marched out of church, and then there's an ancient poem set to music that... Um, beautiful hymn. Will be a beautiful hymn that talks about, listen, Alleluia cannot always be our um, our song here. Like, we're really human. We have to sing our funeral dirges as much as our wedding songs. Uh, it, it is a theology of the cross there versus a theology of the glory that we've talked about many times in our classes. Um, what I like is, and you can pick different tunes in there, and I am blanking on the tune here, but that tune that we typically use for that is also the tune for a Good Friday hymn, and so it's a bookmark for me, and I'm blanking on that uh, on those on those hymns right now, um, but those are pretty cool, and and some of the hymns that I that I kind of said this has got to be for Good Friday, um, you know the. Uh, uh, the cross being a trophy and and uh, all this kind of stuff is just is just really cool imagery.
um, that we don't see uh, elsewhere during the during the church year. Um, so Easter season, let's talk Easter season. I, I actually, be honest with you, and this is more for our pastors who are maybe listening, is sometimes I had a tough time preaching the Easter season because it's just so simple and you, you laid it all out Easter Sunday and you're like, do we do it again? And Although Easter too is one of the best gospel readings of the year. And unfortunately, people, they're all churched out. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, one of the bits of advice I got early on was be inspired by the Easter hymns because they're so great. Read those as text and, and they will help you. And, and it did. Easter 2, uh, yeah, like Doubting Thomas, that's so great. Yep, such a phenomenal text. The 40th day of Easter is Ascension. It seems like God's redeeming the number 40 for us. We just went through 40 days of Lent. He's going to ascend into heaven, and so that's a Thursday service, um, the Ascension of Christ. And then 10 days later, we get to Pentecost, um, where it's going to celebrate uh, the, the Spirit coming upon the disciples and perhaps Mary, perhaps in that same upper room in Jerusalem. Uh, this is when those uh, dumbfounded apostles are finally going to be bold. They have now have the Holy Spirit has been given to them. And, and with the Pentecost, day of Pentecost, we then are, we have uh, begun the non-festival half of the church year in the, or the, the season of the church rather than the, the story of Christ being told from an anticipation and advent to birth to Christmas to his death, resurrection and ascension and sending of the Spirit. Now we're going to talk about other things, other themes. Um, and so you have Although the, the, it's the life of the church, but the interesting thing with that is, with it following resurrection, it's it's Christ who is the life of the right. church. Right? It's right. Christ, to speak vocationally, we recorded on that earlier, it's Christ now living and working through the church. So Pentecost, the the Spirit has been, has been sent. Um, often churches will have gladiolas on that, which is a red flower that have, uh, they look like uh, f- uh, flames of fire, recalling the flames of fire that came on the heads of the uh, disciples at Pentecost. Typically, the next Sunday is Holy Trinity Sunday, so sometimes you hear about this as Trinity season rather than Pentecost season, although I kind of like the Pentecost season. Holy Trinity Sunday, obviously the the mystery of the Trinity. This is when the Athanasian Creed is used too. Um, Wade, I'll let you talk about All Saints Day, kind of a big deal in the church, big big holiday. The rest of the world, like you don't have school or work on all on November first, uh, um, but we do in America. What 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 what, uh, what what is important about All Saints Day? Well, I think it's it's good that All Saints Day is kind of bouncing back in Lutheran circles. Mm-hmm. Um, for a while, I know in our synod, Saints Triumphant had some of the aspects of, of All Saints Day. But All Saints Day is a, a nice Sunday for a number of reasons, and you're going to have to tell me if I'm mixing up some of this, Mike. Um, but A, we remember all those who have gone before mm-hmm. us in the faith that God has called to be saints. And then B, we remember we are all saints mm-hmm. through faith, right? That's how the New Testament used saint mm-hmm. as a believer, is a saint. Um, and that's an important day of the church here then. Because it reminds us of what we are, even against ourselves sometimes. Sometimes the last thing we can believe um, when, when the devil throws our sins in our face or our conscience troubles us is that we are saints of God. And so it's a reminder of that. Uh, but then also, um, and, and here I want to make sure I'm not messing up, there's normally the list of that's read of the people who have died that year. Yeah, the commemoration of the faithful departed. And that's so, usually just for that year, right? Yeah, so that... that, that that 12 months from there and it's kind of a cool thing everybody in in the congregation i would add and all christians born and unborn and then if you you know your your uh your grandma died but she was a member of this congregation but a different congregation you know her name being added to that was kind of a cool thing too and and in that we remember we don't have a prayer for the dead as Mm -hmm. in roman catholicism uh but commemoration of the dead is a healthy and, oh, and yeah. good thing. It's the power of having a, um, for churches that have a church cemetery right on the site, mm-hmm. never served a church that had that, but I think that's an awesome thing to have. Um, to remember we're not the first crazy ones to believe this stuff, we won't be the last, and that we're part of a choir that's much bigger than we realize. Yeah, and a thing to remind ourselves always and always, and despite all of our denominational differences and and strife here on earth, uh, we're all going to sing holy, 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 the sanctus in perfect unison together. I don't know what language, but in heaven, but uh, we'll sing with the angels. German. Yeah, that's, that's, that's one, one option. I'm guessing that song will be in Hebrew. 
Maybe. That that one will be in Hebrew. Hebrew's hard, man. <laughs> one last thing about the church year, I kind of liked it. Well, two last things. One is the end of the church year. So the penultimate thing. Yeah, the penultimate thing is the end of the church year, which which is eschatological. So we're thinking about last judgment and stuff like that, but it gets us an advent. Advent really is the end of the church year and the beginning of the church year. Um, if you want to think about it, because we're thinking about Jesus return and then his coming again. And so advent straddles that. Um, but ember days, ember days are days of repentance. Um, there are four of them. They coincide with the seasons, the natural seasons of the year. And they were days of repentance in the Roman Catholic Church, but also Thanksgiving for whatever particular nature thing was happening in there. So uh, in springtime, you were uh, praying for and, and, and thankful for um, planting season, harvest season in the fall, of course. But, but the summer and winter have their things too. In the Lutheran Church, the, a few, it wasn't widespread, but they, uh, a few churches would hold on to ember uh, season instead of making them overly um, um, repentant kind of thing, which it turned in a little bit too much law. Um, they were times of catechetical preaching. And so what I did in my church is that it worked out that there was always a Sunday that could be a regular Sunday, um, um, that we could take out of the church here. And that would be our congregational quarterly congregational meeting. But it was also an opportunity for me to take a pause and teach something catechetical to them. And so work through one chief part of Luther's small catechism kind of thing. I know a lot of preachers will preach on the catechism for a series in summer or something like that. I sort of built that into the rotation. So it, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of an odd one. It's a, you got to dig deep inside baseball kind of one in the liturgical world, but the Ember days kind of a trifold thing, repentance, thinking about the, the seasons of the year, but then also a chance to be catechetical in your preaching for a little bit, I think was, eh, it's, it's not for everybody, but I think was a kind of a good thing. So we have been talking a long time. We have, we have. And so I think we're just going to end it uh, with this church year stuff. You can't escape time. Um, and I think it's a good thing just to embrace that and, 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 and not to be uh, bound by these traditions. We are free, but to appreciate that there's different calendars in your life and, um, and not to forget about the church calendar. We're free to do all these things, but we're also free to do these things. Um, we're free because of the gospel. So as always, go live freely, friends, and don't let us get in the way.